The midterm elections are behind us, and we saw some interesting things. One of the things that we saw, at least I hope we saw, is that we cannot stifle the great conversation. You know, we've been told in the past that you can't talk about politics and religion. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk about why we cannot afford to be stifled in those two things. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Anchor. Anchor is your one-stop shop for all your business needs. Now, if you're looking to take your vision to the next level and you want to put legs underneath your vision, Anchor can help you do that. But you got to get their name right, A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. They can help you with payroll solutions, accounting solutions. They can help you with business strategies, and they can help you with so much more. To see everything that they can help you do, you need to go to A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z today. And if you go today, they're running a special on payroll solutions. So listen, I, I know. Running a small business, it takes a lot of time. And the more things that you can do yourself, you think the cheaper it's going to be. But in the long run, is that really a workable solution for your business? You may not think you have the money to outsource some of the tasks that you're doing right now, but the only way to find out is to go to Anchor to figure out. So go to ancur.biz today and let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, regardless of what took place over the midterm elections, um, I want to talk about why it is important for us to engage in political conversations, even if you don't wish to be political. As a Christian, I hear this very often, and you may not be a Christian, um, so, so don't think I'm going to sermonize here just yet. We'll get there. But I hear this very often from, from pastors especially. You cannot legislate righteousness. And so that's meant to try to convey this idea that Christians should try to avoid anything that has to do with politics and avoid anything that has to do with legislating laws and those kind of things. And that's not really what we're here to do. We're here to change people's hearts. Well, the reality is, is in the absence of changing people's hearts, you need laws to help govern a society. So no, you may not be able to legislate righteousness, but you should be able to engage in politics. And we need moral voices to do so in order to help shape our nation. And at the end of the day, if you can save a life through legislating a righteous law, well, then that's a righteous act. So, uh, so I think there's a place for us to use our conscience and our belief to put it into practice through politics. So I think it's important for us to think about, but whether you're happy about the results of Tuesday or not, the one thing that I hope we can see from all of this is that we need to be active and engaged in the great conversation. We've been told for the longest time that the two things you don't talk about openly in the public square are religion and politics. And I'm happy to see that that's changing in our time. And I'm happy to see that that conversation being broadened out into school boards and being broadened out into city council meetings and so much more is actually really making a difference. I think that that is at least a takeaway from what we saw from the midterm elections. But so let's talk about the great conversation. What is the great conversation? Well, traditionally, the great conversation is the ongoing process of writers and thinkers referencing and building on refining the work of their predecessors. So this is people in the West who are creating Western culture through things that have happened in the past through literature and writers and thinkers and those kind of things. Um, so it's this great grand tradition of Western ideology that's been passed down to us today. Now, there's also a religious component. So there's 
a political component, I guess you could call it, but then there's a, re a religious component as well. The great conversation in Catholic theology is a the idea of the conversation that takes place in purgatory. Now, whether you believe in purgatory or not, this is interesting um, because it's this idea that in purgatory, we're being purgated or purged from the conversations that are superfluous. And in purgatory, there is one conversation that is most important because it's that middle place between heaven and hell. It's the idea that the conversation that's taking place in purgatory is just the idea of how to get to heaven. In, in other words, what is truly important in this place now that we've pushed aside all of these things that are that are less important who is god what is what is mankind and and what should i believe and what will truly matter in all of eternity so that's kind of the idea of the great conversation from a catholic perspective so in both cases the great conversation is this dialogue this open kind of public square discussion that we have about the issues that matter most and I'm glad that we're starting to see that we're breaking the old idea of the taboo of politics and religion being things we don't discuss. The better we can discuss these things, the better we will be. So according to Hutchins, who is a person who wrote a book called The Great Conversation, he said this, the tradition of the West is embodied in the great conversation that began in the dawn of history that continues to the present day. In other words, if we're going to take Western civilization, if we're going to take Christianity or whatever else is important to you, it's important that we have a conversation about those things and that we speak as openly as we can about them. The taboo of both politics and religion is really counterproductive in all of that. In fact, if I was more of a conspiracy theorist, I might suggest that the reason that people wanted to make politics and religion taboo is so that in the absence of people thinking about these things and discussing these things, they could control politics by silencing religion. It's very possible that there's people out there in an effort to dismantle religion and politics, they developed a, deconstruct a deconstructionist progressive ideology. And sometimes it's even seen in Christianity and certainly in neo-Marxist politics. One of the passive tools to dismantle the West has been to distinctly separate religion and politics rather than the most redemptive way of thinking, which is to combine these two great ideas, these two great conversations, if you will, and to have robust, rational, even political dialogue that is rooted in reason and faith. And that conversation, by the way, is the thing that made America. James Madison said this, he said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. Our nation was founded upon these two great conversations being dovetailed one with another. And on an anecdotal level, I'll just give you a suggestion in terms of watching later after you watch this show in its full entirety and like and subscribe if you haven't done that already. And what are you waiting for if you haven't done that? that. But um, the the movie Amazing Grace kind of portrays this very well. The guy, William Wilberforce, who was responsible for abolishing the slave trade in England was somebody who battled with this, this dichotomy of being called into ministry and being a pastor and then also being a politician. And in a moment in the movie, a guy suggests to him, one of his friends says, I suggest to you humbly that you can do both. And it is the combination of both of these things that that truly helped end slavery in the 
in the in the West, at least in England, and then also the Great Awakening in America that helped end slavery here. So as you see, the only way that you would benefit from totally dissecting and dichotomizing religion from politics is if you wish to take these two superpowers and weaken them because you have a different design. In other words, be quiet on religion and be quiet on politics. You can talk about one or the other, but certainly never talk about both. And frankly, the left is quite happy when you don't talk about either. Now, I wonder why. Is it possible that they have a totally different idea of what America should be and wish to make America in, in that image? Well, we'll talk about some things that are going on in America today that, that perhaps could deserve a little bit more conversation from, from both of those superpowers. So we'll talk about that in our segment, Christianity Not Today. Just recently, Matt Walsh posted this on Twitter, and I thought it was interesting to watch. Now, I can't necessarily uh, play the whole thing for you and its audio because of copyright purposes, so I'll just kind of give you the play-by-play here. So what we have is a clip from New Amsterdam, which is a doctor show, I think, on NBC. Um, and and here we have some of the cast members that are... Um, cosplaying a concerned citizen and here they are reacting to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So um, I want to be sure that you understand that as you see this, they are not responding to a zombie apocalypse or the advent of a new global pandemic wiping away uh, specifically the elderly and definitely not kids in schools except into a very limited fashion. But they are responding to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So we'll play it for you here. So as you can see, the, we have the main character here. He's, he's very distraught about something. Uh, we don't know what. But then he, he turns and looks at his daughter, sees her playing innocently, and then stares deeply into her eyes, and he just wishes that he had the opportunity to abort her. And he's just very deeply saddened by that. So saddened that the phone, he just loses the power to hold it, drops it on the ground. Uh, then we're taken into a a city street corner where people are looking at their phone they're just getting the news and of course we get the gratuitous cup drop with splashing coffee all over the camera uh, cliche probably about 20 years ago but i guess we can pull it back up uh, and rehash it and then we have just people weeping in the streets because they can't kill their baby uh, we have one of the docs of course we've got the lesbian couple there just absolutely upset that of course, it doesn't matter to them anyway, nonetheless. Uh, we have a doctor seeing all this going on. Let me fast forward a little bit here. Another father-daughter thing. Woman running down the street. She has to abort one last baby before it's too late. And then all the doctors converging in the hall, um, looking at the TV. And finally, the big reveal. And the big reveal is they're watching on the TV a news report that uh, Roe v. Wade has been overturned. And all in shock. What will they do now as doctors now that they do not have the right to do harm? Now, the only thing I have to say about this beyond the lunacy of what we just saw and how hyperbolic it is and how um, Walsh kind of commented to this, and I think it's really true, is that this kind of cosplays Christian films of the past that are so on the nose and so corny and so ridiculous and so over the top. 
um, uh, that that it's a little bit interesting to see kind of like this reversal. We can only hope that Christian films get way better and that uh, these kind of films and modern kind of secular TV gets way worse as they become more left-leaning. But um, uh, but the, the only thing I, I really have to mention here is that in, in the absence of a strong moral voice within the realm of politics, we get this kind of stuff. We, this would have been laughable, if not horrifying to us 10 years ago to see people responding this way to abortion. I mean, I'm thinking back to the days where we said we want abortion safe and rare. You know, we don't want women, uh, you know, going in back alleys with coat hangers and trying to remove babies out of their wombs just because they so don't want to be pregnant that they will resort to any form of violence that they Mm -hmm. possibly can. And so they'll go into back alleys and have abortions. Now, you should know that that whole idea about back alley abortions was totally fabricated and the Guttmacher Instant uh, Institute admitted to the idea that they didn't have any statistics on back alley abortions, so they just completely made them up. Um, but pushing that aside, uh, back in those days, we were talking about abortions for the sake of the mother and only in rare instances. And the only reason we don't want to outlaw them is so that they're safe for women. You know, this health care supposedly needs to be safe for women. We don't really want it widespread. We just need it so that it won't be so obscure and so obtuse that it can't be safe for women. We promise we don't want to willy-nilly abort a babies. And then of course, in the present, 98% of the abortions, if not more, are done on an elective basis simply out of convenience or because of relationship issues, but not because of health of the mother, not because of rape, and not because of incest. You know, we, we used to have strong voices that stood up and really declared this openly to world leaders, but unfortunately, most of our world leaders um, are, are gone that would do this kind of thing. And I, and I want to show you a world leader doing just that because the voice of Mother Teresa is hopefully coming back but sorely needed at this hour. But listen to the words of this, this godly woman as she pleads with world leaders in a crowd to, to rather to adopt than to abort. So here's that. Greatest destroyer of peace today is the cry of the innocent unborn child but today millions of unborn children are being killed and we say nothing in the newspapers you read numbers of this one that one being killed this being destroyed but nobody speaks of the millions of little ones who have been have been conceived with the same life as you and I, with the life of God. And we say nothing. We allow it. To me, the nations who have legalized abortion, they are the poorest nation. They are afraid of little one. They are afraid of the unborn child. And the child must die because they don't want to feed one more child, to educate one more child, the child must die. And so today, let us here make a strong resolution. We are going to save every little child, every unborn child, give them a chance to be born. The reason I show you this is that our silence on these issues has created a world that we don't really recognize. That's to be expected a little bit because time changes things. 
Um, uh, you, you know, one of the only things that never changes is, is the world changes. However, I hope we can see through it, too, that when these two voices, whether it be political or religious and the combination of the two in the great conversation is silenced, that it only spells bad, um, as we'll kind of see in our next story, too, because I want to take you to a very, very secular kind of understanding of of Jesus in a video that just kind of annoys me, and that's why I'm showing it to you more than, than anything else. But a, a recent series of videos has been produced called He Gets Us, and it's, it's spoiler alert, of, about Jesus. So I, I guess I just need to show it to you, and then we'll kind of go over it. So here is uh, a He Gets Us film called The Rebel. Rebel took to the streets. He recruited others to join him. They quit their jobs, left their families, and swore allegiance to him. They roamed the hood, challenged authority, and made a lot of people uneasy. Community leaders feared them. Religious leaders abhorred them. Law enforcement labeled them outlaws. We have to shut them down, they said. Get them off the streets. Protect our communities from these troublemakers. But they weren't part of a gang spreading hate and terror. They were spreading love. Uh, this kind of stuff just drives me insane. There was a guy that commented on this video, and it's so fitting that I have to repeat it here, but he's like, this video is like the teacher in the inner city who leans back in his chair, unbuttons his top button, and leans back and says, hey, there was this gangster rapper back in England that just knew how to spit rhymes and lyrics. He was one of the best. His name was William Shakespeare. And isn't that just kind of the point, is trying to make Jesus relatable to the world by calling him one of our homies is exactly part of the reason that we're in the mess that we're in presently. And, and by that, I mean not just the diminution of Jesus, but the dilution of truth. The whole purpose of Christianity is not to get God to get you. Uh, Jesus didn't come to this earth so that merely you could know that Jesus is cool and he hangs with the homies and rolls hard. The reason Jesus came to this earth is so that you could access him without having to make it up as you go along, which is exactly the problem with this video. Of course, this is a fabrication of who Jesus actually was. The other thing I'd say about it is, of course, it tries to paint the picture of Jesus as a troublemaker. Jesus was a troublemaker because he told the truth, not because he was an actual troublemaker. People who watch this... <clears throat> will get the opinion that because they don't fit in or because they're socially um, unacceptable or <clears throat> go against the grain, that that makes them somehow Christian, when actually it could just make you pagan. Uh, going against the grain in terms of creating a category called gender so that you don't have to fit into a category is absolutely self-serving and has nothing to do with Christianity. Uh, by the way, in the beginning, it says God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Look, I know it's cliche, but I am a dad at the end of the day, and there is nothing dumber than what you just watched. So I feel like I'm upping the conversation with those kind of jokes. Maybe I'm wrong. Suffice to say, the implication here is that Jesus is just one of us. He's just cool. He gets us. He understands. He can sympathize with you. So why don't you just go to church? 
And this is, again, part of the problem. This understanding of Christianity and this plea to the populace has made it so that we think Christianity is nothing more than idolatry, that we get to make Jesus up as we go along, and especially if you can make up a Jesus that sympathizes with all of your weakness and all of your pains, then uh, then all the better, rather than let's try to actually understand who Jesus was from the scripture, rather than twist and contort him to fit into our modern understanding of what Jesus should be. I find this very ironic because the people who accuse, um, uh, you know, Republicans and conservatives of making a white Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes are actually the ones who are guilty of this. They don't actually want the real Jesus. They just want a counter Jesus to what they perceive as the Scandinavian Jesus. You know, they want a black Jesus in place of a white Jesus, and neither Jesus is is right. And this is what Christianity today, or not today, is really all about, is that Hey, listen, if we're going to really grab a hold of an understanding of Jesus, we should do so from the Bible. Now, for those of you who are watching, and you may not be Christian, you may think to yourself, well, the Bible's all a lie anyway. Kind of push aside your bigotry for the moment and just hang with me. And just understand that the dilution of truth and the make it up as you go along kind of mentality that's inundating our society today is part of the problem. And whether it's within the realm of Christianity or within the realm of public education or within the realm of gender ideology, the make it up as you go along, I am my own God mentality affects us all. And it is this idea that the feeling of acceptance is more important than the virtue of truth that will be the death of Western civilization when it all comes down to it. It won't be left versus right. It will be feeling above truth. And that's why the great conversation is so important, because we need to be willing to have conversations about this stuff and not settle for a cheap imposter. And when we talk about imposters, we may need to also look at parenthood in America today, because just recently, a, a TikTok video went viral of a gender reveal. Now, you may have a general disdain for gender reveals um, and the fact that they uh, sometimes burn down whole forests in the effort to try to reveal to the world and more so to people on social media as though they cared uh, the gender of your child. But just recently, a gender reveal TikTok was posted and in it, the father acts a little disappointed when the reveal comes because I guess he wanted a boy and as you'll see, they, they get pink. <laughs> Ah, fuck. <laughs> fuck. What is it, Kaya? You having a baby brother or baby sister? <laughs> so social media saw this and blew up at the father because he's responding the way that he is towards the child. And many people said things like, uh, when your daughter finally sees this, how is she going to feel about that? And how can you act like this? and you're acting childish because you didn't get what you wanted. And all the while, people seem to negate and neglect the very galling aspect of true childishness in this video, which is the fact, not that the father is acting like a petulant child because he got a girl and not a boy, but rather that he is openly cussing in front of his children, his very small children, saying the, the F word over and over and over again. This certainly is communicating something, and it's communicating that this father is not just immature, but also a bad dad. This is not the way that you're supposed to talk to your kids. I see this happening more and more, too, and you see it with families on television where fathers are just openly cussing in front of their children. 
again, not only is this a sign of immaturity, but it's also a sign of utter stupidity, that you don't have the capacity to actually communicate yourself in a thoughtful manner around your children. So that's the real message that's being communicated to kids here that is a little bit troubling. When they see their father walking around cussing like a drunken sailor in front of their kids, the only thing that you can surmise from that is that my father is an illiterate fool and doesn't care about what he says in front of his own kids. I'm being so stern about this because we need to return back to a place of understanding parenthood as a place of respect and a place of honor. Now, we're commanded in the scripture to honor our parents regardless, but this is the kind of behavior that doesn't really deserve honor because the father is not, not acting honorable and he doesn't honor the innocence and the beauty of his own children. And, is so, and, and so is using language like this around his kids. Back when the Great Conversation was a little bit more profound and a little bit more prolific and we looked more to books of the past that came before the year 2000 rather than just simply reading posts consistently on on uh, social media, we, we, didn't, we didn't take this for granted. We knew that raising a child was a holy duty and that the way that we raise a child should also, that we should also take into consideration the way we talk in front of our kids and that there's a difference between talking like an adult and talking like a moron. Um, so again, I, I use this strong language because it's my hope that we can insist that parents act like parents in this regard once again, and that this doesn't become okay, and that we don't treat words as casual because words definitely have power. And if we want our kids to be articulate, then maybe we ourselves should be articulate as well. But of course, with the advent of social media, we have gotten dumber and we have gotten less fluent in our own language. And the last story we'll look at is one that has to deal directly with social media. And according to Yahoo, social media is dying. The world is still digesting the news that billionaire Elon Musk actually owns Twitter. But in fact, the development marks just the latest sign that social media as we knew it has come to an end. Twitter and the company formerly known as Facebook once dominated social media, but now both of them face uncertain futures. Twitter took on $13 billion in debt to complete the Musk deal. Facebook parent Meta spent $10 billion last year on a pivot to the metaverse while its main Facebook app struggles to remain relevant to younger users. So as it seems, these once mega giants that no one believed would be wiped off the face of the map are now going to die the death of a million MySpaces, or probably a billion MySpaces, because they're really hemorrhaging money right now. Jack Dorsey just recently came out and said that the reason Elon Musk had to fire so many people was simply because of him. It was his fault. They tried to grow the company too quick, and as a result of it, they are losing money. So as much as the media has tried to paint Elon as the bad guy, at least Jack Dorsey had enough fortitude, moral fortitude at that, to be honorable enough to come out and say that he is the reason that all of those Twitter employees had to be fired. But it's a sign that these once strong social media companies are potentially, you know, preparing for an exit. So we'll see if Elon Musk can can rescue it. And we'll see if Meta can the metaverse can change the Facebook. Um, but it's but it's not likely because people are moving to platforms like Twitch and TikTok and the like. Now, I get that this report about Twitter and Facebook and others may really just be snowflakes melting and upset that Elon bought Twitter. But if they are correct that 
that this could spell the end of big companies like Twitter and Elon simply because free speech is able to flourish on these platforms, then I think actually what we have is a great debt of gratitude uh, to give to Elon. And so I'd like to take just a moment to thank him. So first of all, I'd like to thank you for hopefully curing the death of information in society. Right now, we're drowning in a sea of irrelevance and losing the ability to know what to care about and what matters simply because we are inundated with information constantly. And rather than accessing information that matters, we have information that ultimately leaves us not any more better than we were when we first read it. And so thank you for helping us cure the death of information. And then thank you for helping us cure the death of the private. Because of social media, everybody thinks all of your own personal business that we don't care about is everybody else's business. Because of this, no wonder people think it's perfectly normal to protest outside of the private residence of Supreme Court justices or to do any number of things that in former generations would at least be in bad taste. Um, there is no more private because of social media because now all of our private lives are broadcast for the whole world to see. So thank God that we might be able to reclaim the private. And the death of real conversations. Thank you, Elon, for curing that. There's cowards and keyboard warriors out there to a plenty, all revealing to the world who they are without social media. Fair enough. But at least before they didn't have a platform to air all of their ridiculous and illogical and unthoughtful opinions. Which brings us to the next thing. If social media goes down, it might be the cure for the death of thought. Sure, it was dead before social media, but at least people didn't have the pulpit they have now to let us know that we have done such a poor job in the public education system. All of that to say this, that the death of conversation is a real issue and something that, that we can do something about. And, and it starts by opening up our minds to the great conversation. I kind of alluded to it before, but one of the things that you can do is maybe access a library. Now, maybe it could be an online library, sure, but, but it wouldn't kill you to actually walk physically into a library. More importantly, it wouldn't kill you to read a book that was published before the year 2000, a classic, something that brings us back to a former wisdom that we lack in the present. This is the beauty of history, and this is the beauty of, 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 of technology, really, is that, yeah, we can access that stuff, but we've done what the most ridiculous societies do with technology, talk to each other rather than talk to our past and try to gain information from the past. We don't want just direct information. We want serendipitous information. So we don't just want a Google search that takes us to where McDonald's is. We want information that helps us access new information and new ideas to us so that we can actually come up with original thought. And that happens when we unplug from social media and we enter into a dialogue that perhaps happened even decades, if not generations before. And then we can actually access the great conversation by the rediscovery of spirituality. Now, you may not be a Christian, and, and that's fine. You know, we have a society that allows for a bunch of different uh, religions to coexist. But here's what I would ask you to do, is not make the mistake of thinking that all religions are equal or believe the same. A wise man once said that Christianity is 
virtually the same as other religions, except for in the areas of the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature of sin, the nature of creation, and many other things. So in other words, take the time to actually enter into the great conversation, the, the greatest conversation I think that we can have. Who is God? One of the best questions that you can ask and actually get into the nuance of what Christianity actually believes as opposed to the other major religions of the world. And then have these conversations with friends. Ask questions like, why am I here? Why do I exist? Is it really just random? Am I really just a happenstance? Am I really an accident? When I think about everything that needed to take place to actually bring me into existence, thousands of years of history and thousands of years of my ancestors battling and fighting and thriving just so that I could live here and now, why? How did that happen? And do I really think it's an accident or is there a greater meaning and purpose to my life? Those questions and more can enter into the greater conversation. And sure, in the process, let's talk about what political structures best accentuate the importance and the uniqueness of humanity. As we have these great conversations, I've, I believe that not only can we expect a brighter tomorrow, but that we'll actually start fixing our todays. So in order to have this conversation, we have to be willing to allow new perspectives and to show interest in people who think differently than us. If we're actually willing to engage in the conversation, I think we'll be the better for it. And at the end of the day, nobody's saying that you have to agree and nobody's saying that you have to actually even appreciate anything the other person said, but just simply that you're open to the opportunity for the truth to enter into that thick brain of yours and mine so that we might actually be able to change. All right, guys, thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and for crying out loud, go with God.